Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick Bradley here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. So today, it's just me, no interviews, but I'm going to cover a topic which I think is absolutely critical. Now, when I tell you what it is, you're going to say, well, hold on, that's not scale-up, that's something else. But let me just explain it. It's the turnaround process. It's the turnaround process that you know anyone can learn from. So if you're in a business that's trying to grow and trying to scale, some of the key principles in turnaround are you know, just as applicable, if not more applicable to what you're trying to achieve. Now, for those of you who are avid listeners to the podcast, you'll know that this was my background. This was my kind of the thing I did. And uh, I did it for years, actually. I was the guy that went into private equity backed businesses Normally, when that investment wasn't going where it should be, and I was the turnaround guy. Now, that there's a bit of a crap gig, if I'm honest, because if you go into some of these businesses, it's not uncommon for all the staff in those businesses to know things aren't performing well. Uh, the trigger is usually, you know, the old CEO has been kicked out and then I turn up. And the natural feeling is, because it happens probably more often than it should, is that the new guy goes and you know makes everyone redundant. And there's a, a really uh, funny film with George Clooney called Up in the Air. It's a few years old now, but he kind of goes around the US and essentially restructures companies that are failing. And yeah, I was that guy. I was that guy. And it was, you know, it was stressful. It wasn't a lot of fun. There's nothing worse than sitting in front of someone and saying that they're not going to have a job. And, you know, it hits people for six, you know, for sometimes it really knocks them over and it's not fun. It's not fun. So I don't like doing that anymore. I don't like it. But the principles of it need to be learned. And if you're in the situation now when you're listening to this and go, ah, Nick, I don't need this. My business is growing. It's flying. I'm listening to you because it's about scale. It's about growth. It's about creating value. It's about wealth. Well, guess what? Sometimes even a successful business has periods where they go back. And it's how you think about that, how you show up in that situation, which will make all the difference. And as I said, the principles, tactics, strategies I'm going to go through today, they are going to serve you massively when you're in that situation. So even if you don't think you're there now, listen, take some notes and apply it. And the other thing, you know, as I've said, it's, it's going to be things in here which you should be doing anyway. A lot of them are just disciplines in business that should be focused on. And, you know, you can take them away even if you're growing successfully and start to implement them and they're going to help you. The one thing about turnaround that I want to kind of get across, which is critical, which is absolutely applicable to any type of stage of business growth, it's about focus and it's about presence. Because when you're in a situation where a business is really going going down fast, I suppose the analogy is if you're in a plane and the same thing was happening, you know, you're not thinking about much else. You're just thinking about how you can kind of survive, yeah, how you can get that plane from not hitting the ground. Same principle, same thought process, same emotional journey is what happens in business. So the thing I like about businesses that are in turnaround is that everyone has to galvanize and you have to focus. 
that same principle is a superpower in a business in scale-up. Yeah? So just think about that for a second. That ability to be present. That ability to focus. To say no to things that aren't really important. It may not be, you know, no, never. It may just be no, not now. And again, if you can do that, you're going to accelerate your business growth. So that's what today is about. Really important podcast. Uh, One that you could argue I should have done earlier on. But if you've been with me on this journey, I think you're going to enjoy today. So let's get into it. Enough of me rambling on. So there are essentially five areas I want to talk about in the turnaround process that any business can learn from. First one is business development. So I'm going to go through that. A lot of it is similar to some of the points we've talked about with sales and marketing, but there are some more tactical things that can give quicker results that I'll go through. Obviously, reducing costs, not just redundancies. There's some clever things you can do to be um, creative around cost management. Then I'm going to go into renegotiating contracts, which again, people just don't do even in their kind of core businesses. And it's a key thing. You can save literally thousands, if not tens of thousands more if you've got bigger businesses just by going back and looking at suppliers, looking at contracts and having conversations. So that's something that even if you're growing, you should be looking at. And it doesn't have to be literally a weekly process, monthly process, but every quarter, maybe, you know, start looking at those contracts. Uh, Then we're going to get into quick cash strategies. Now, cash is a key theme. We're not talking about profit today. We're not talking about long-term value today. We're talking about cash and time management. Because they are the two critical components of turnaround. Think about it. You just don't usually have a lot of time in turnaround. So you've got to make quick decisions and you've got to be, as I said before, focused. And cash is king in all businesses. So businesses fail, in my opinion, and there's enough research out there for you to go and look at. They they fail for two reasons. Normally, the first reason is that someone, a creative entrepreneur, founder of a business, creates a solution to a problem that does not exist. They think it's a great idea, but there is no product market fit, to use a kind of technical term. And then it's cash. And, you know, cash is just crazy because it's one of those things where it's the lifeblood of business. And so one of the themes you'll see, I'm going to mention it so often through this podcast, you're going to to have to have it imprinted in your head, but cash is king. And that's one of the, the bits that you need to look at first when you're in this situation. And then the last one is some clever things around other payments and deferring tax. So you can do that. Some people don't realize they can do that, but it's a key thing. I wouldn't advise doing it too often. And if you do do that, you are, you're going to have to commit to it, but it's something to look at, particularly if you're in this, this distressed situation. Okay, so let's kick it off. So under business development, there's kind of four parts to this bit. So there's firstly your key customers the ones that are usually the lifeblood of your business no matter what. Then you've got sort of lapsed old past customers. We're going to get into that. There's some techniques around retargeting, which I'll get into. And then there's um, JVs um, and affiliate partnerships. And that's all around introducing new products and services um, into your business so you can provide more value more quickly than building those things out yourself. The first thing I do when I go into a business is I go and see all of the key customers. You think, oh, well, of course you do. Well, yeah, but again, most people don't do that. It's funny, when someone's in a business and it's starting to go backwards, they start to get really internally focused all the time and they don't think about the external. So that sort of customer centricity piece goes away. Now, you don't want to do that. So go and see them. Reinforce the relationship. 
What I try and do is I try and get new business. Now, you could say, oh, Nick, that's easy because you're the new guy. You've come in. They haven't met you before. There's a reason. It doesn't matter. That's an excuse. So, you know, going out there and putting something in front of them that kind of helps helps get that new order. You might put something in front of them that's more than you want to give away. But again, as I said, at this point in time, it's about cash management. So you could offer bulk buy discounts, bundling other upsells, those sort of things. You're not just going out there to shake their hand and try and say, hey, listen, it's all good, isn't it? You are going out there to try and be commercial at the same time. But key customers, they're called key customers for a reason because you've been able to solve a problem for them. So when you go out there, try and solve a problem like your life depends on it. Because in some cases it does, you know, depending on what stage you're at in the business. Past customers. So this is an interesting one for me. And I love this because when I go into, into any organization, I say, I say well, you know, how many, how many people you got in your books? And in some cases, businesses that are a bit old, the ones that I try to acquire myself, they can have thousands, literally thousands of customers. And when you delve into this, and there's a bit of analytics and a bit of metrics, that sort of stuff, you, you start to sort of see that most small businesses are only serving in some cases less than sort of 10 to 20% of all the customers that they've had over the lifetime of their business. So key point, if you are, if you've got a business been going for a few years and you've got a list, when was the last time you really went back and looked at it? Because going back to those customers and having a conversation or just re-engaging can be a, a very quick way of getting new sales in. And if you think about it, you don't have to build awareness. In some cases, you don't even have to build trust and rapport and authenticity. It's just the fact that, you know, people get distracted and time has gone past. So go back to them, you know, make that a priority. And then there's kind of re-engagement campaigns. So you can go out there and, you know, you know, go back and sort of say, you know, have you worked for us for a while? Facebook targeting, outbound phone calling, all those traditional things. They do work in this way. I think they work better when you've had a relationship with someone they do trying to get new business. And I always do this. I always put a special offer in there to come back. So it doesn't have to be as crude as a discount. It can be, but it's promotions, it's bonuses. It's anything that I feel is going to be a trigger to get them to take action. Even if that action is, hey, listen, we've moved on. We don't need your product or service anymore. At least then I know and I've got something back. But if I don't do it or I don't take any action, then I'm never going to know. Now, joint ventures and affiliates are an interesting one because this is, in some cases, you might be going out there and selling a certain solution to customers and you're pushing that out there and and you've been doing that for some time. And as I said before, that, that customer may not have a need for that. So nothing better than going to a partner and trying to find something else that you can bundle with what you've got and present that as a new offer. So it's a campaign. So the clever thing about this is you're not having to go and produce something. You are simply on selling that product or service to your existing customer base. So your value is the customer base. And if you can do a deal here where you take a percentage of that, and obviously there's alignment with that solution to what you're trying to do in your business, then you can get some quick deals coming through. And the good thing I like about these as well is often you don't have to do the fulfillment. So if you're, let's say you're a consultancy business and you do strategic consultancy and there's marketing or branding need and that's not your core competency, then you could do a, a some sort of promotion or some sort of JV with a, with a marketing consultancy where if any of your existing customers choose to go down that pathway, 
you simply refer them to your JV partner and you take a percentage. Sometimes that can be 10, 20, 30%. Huge. So you're essentially getting the money coming into you without having to do the work. It's just the power and the relationship of your network and your customer base. Okay, so I now want to get into... I talk about this quite a lot, but it's, it's kind of no-cost, low-cost marketing. So when I go in, certainly on the private equity side, we do use traditional PR. That can be pretty powerful just to kind of get awareness out there. I'm not a huge advocate of that these days because I think there are better techniques, but it's certainly one to have on your list. Referral programs, similar to what I was saying about going back to LAPS customers, is just an underutilized play. So... If you've got really good customers who are raving fans or they've been with you for a long time, there's so much trust there. There's so much rapport, authenticity, credibility. There is nothing wrong whatsoever going back to them and saying, listen, hey, I want to make you an ambassador. Any business that you bring in from referring us to your customers, then we're happy to kind of have a commercial arrangement set up. Now, some people think this is grubby. Ah, I don't want to do that. That sounds, you know, that sounds, it's not, it's not. Remember, most businesses are there to make money, to be commercial. That's how they are successful. So you can do this elegantly. You don't have to go out there and make it crass or anything like that, but you've got to build this. I, every business I go into, I build some form of referral program. It's usually run through marketing. It's usually enabled via sales and it usually has some sort of percentage discount either tied to the first year of a new business, a new customer coming in, or sometimes it can be longer. And it's always done on success, as in when the, the, the customer, the referral buys something as opposed to just a lead. Okay, so if you're not doing that. I suggest that you again, write it down, write it down, put this in there because it's something that will, again, just it gives you another trigger, another thing to get business in. Um, and again, it doesn't matter if you're in turnaround or not. Then I have played around with sort of lead generators, so commission only. Now, I've done this mainly in the turnaround space because there are people out there who will literally just go out there and try and find business on commission only. Um, now, those, those sort of deals are fine. You do have to give up quite a bit more margin often. So there is a piece here you've got to be careful about your profitability. So sometimes it can be, I've, I've seen certain deals where it can go up to 50%, which is, which is huge. But what you're really leveraging here is someone else's network. So it's, it's different to you referring to your network. It's almost the opposite of that. But you are trying to get scale quickly because you don't have to build that audience. And sometimes people want a handy premium for that, that, that relationship and that, that introduction. But have a look at it. Again, if you're in that situation, it's still an important tactic and it can work really well. Then there's my favorite my favorite low-cost marketing is social media. Probably no surprise to anybody here if everyone follows me on LinkedIn and Instagram and, and those things, but it's really powerful. It's, it's a way of you getting your message out there and you can do it quickly. I, I often say you can't be posting enough. It's about quality. It's about quantity. I'll have my um, social media team, in, in many cases, putting five posts out a day on LinkedIn. But I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person. Oh, you know. Hey, if your business isn't firing and you're going to, you know, literally have to close it down and that could have huge impacts on you personally, you do whatever it takes. Now, putting yourself out there on social media is not my favorite thing in the whole world. I'll be honest with you. Doing a, a live Facebook video is not my favorite thing in the world either. 
it's it, it does take effort. You've got to prepare yourself. You're putting yourself out there. As soon as you put yourself out there, two things happen. You get people who align to your message and they buy into you. And then you get people who hate you. And I get that as well. So for all the people who, who kind of like listening to me on this podcast, there are a whole lot of people who hate me and they think, oh, you know, this guy just goes on all the time and whatever. Hey, I'm still trying to help people. That's the main reason I do it. And as I keep saying it, and I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. But, you know, as a result of that, it helps my businesses. It does. It's an important thing. So, so if you haven't got a social media strategy or you haven't thought about that, really start to connect with it. Social media is not just a passive, you know, sort of thing you do as a, as a hobby on the side. It's much more powerful these days. And one of the things I find is that, you know, there's, there's different platforms coming out. So LinkedIn is one of the main ones I use. Uh, YouTube videos are, are starting to grow. In fact, I might do some, some of those quite soon, particularly on the education side of things we're doing with the Fielding Group, my company. And of course, podcasting. If you've got a, a message to sell and you think that you can help people, you can add value and you can kind of do exactly what I do. You know, this sort of episode where I'm trying to kind of hopefully educate and inform about some of the things around turnaround then you should be using these free or low-cost mediums, media vehicles, to be able to promote you, your personal brand, and your business. And then the last one, which is sort of low-cost depending on the situation, is, is I call it, it's kind of trade shows, it's events. Now, this is not paying to go, and this is not turning up you know, in a stand necessarily. Um, I prefer to speak. So if I can go to one of these type of events, I want to speak on stage. It's very powerful that because you're not the person running around with business cards just on the floor with everyone else. Normally, if you're the person who can get up on stage and deliver a speech, people are running to you with the business cards. So it can be really efficient and effective. But again, similar to social media, you've got to be comfortable putting yourself out there. But these are the things that if I'm in a business and I think I've got three months, what of these low-cost marketing activities can I, can I prioritize? This is the list that I look at first. So a few other bits just to throw in there. Um, it used to be really expensive to buy email lists. Um, these days, it's not. So you can actually get access to that. So that's another tactic that may be worth uh, deploying. If you are very geographically focused, you know, low-cost radio advertising can be pretty powerful or any other type of media, even sort of print media, if you're a, a sort of a small services business in a community. One thing that I think is underutilized is, is writing books, writing small e-books. Uh, sometimes they used to be called white papers, but you can get those things out there all the time. It's really, really clever. So if you've got a website that's not working for you effectively, try and add a bit more value by, by writing a blog, by writing posts. Because that content marketing helps with the search algorithms. So it's a bit more of a longer term strategy. That's why I don't put it into my sort of first list of low cost marketing. But you should have at least a thought around this because you can measure it. You know, you can measure web traffic. You can measure downloads. Those downloads are often very rich leads. And those rich leads then lead into a sales conversation. And marketing really, in, in, its, in its essence, is all about leads. Whether it's brand or direct response, it's about leads. It's not about sales. But the more leads that you can come in leads to more conversations, and through a conversation is where you can sell. So that's why you've got to think about it in numbers. And I, I often go into businesses now where I'm helping people. They might be in scale-up, but one of the first things I say is, okay, so how many conversations have you had 
in the last three months? Quite often they go, no idea. So, okay, well, so let's look at your numbers. Then we do that and we say, we, we kind of work out a way of, of putting some metrics in. And I say, well, if you double the conversations, you know, you might not double the sales, but you might increase the sales by 50%. So it's not about increasing the business or doubling the business. It's about increasing the activity that leads to that. And that starts with marketing. It starts with direct response. Okay, so that is business development in a nutshell. Some of it does repeat on what I've done before, but you know, in some cases having constant repetition helps, but it's a bit more tactical. So there's lots of ideas there that I said you can apply to your business regardless of what stage it's in. Let's get into costs. Yeah, costs. Most people don't like this one, but we're going to get into it today. So if you're in a business and it is you know, not firing, as we said beforehand, um, there's a few different things you can do here. Uh, I like to outsource things. I think the opportunity to outsource these days is huge. Uh, there's a whole, I think it's called the gig economy is the definition of it. Not 100% sure exactly if that's the right definition, but you know, go with me, go with me on it. But people, people are becoming more independent of their income and less, less need to be employed full-time these days. Because the ability to promote yourself and your individual brand is so much greater, similar to the point I made before around social media. So you've got freelancers, you've got sites like uh, People Per Hour and Upwork, Fiverr, where you can just go and hire a specialist. I mean, I when I'm sort of going into businesses, helping them, when I'm buying businesses, one of the first things I do is have almost like a virtual agency of really high, highly experienced people where I can get them for really good amounts in terms of day rates or hourly rates because there's no overhead. They're not part of a bigger business where their cost is them being on-sold with a margin to me. So I'm talking about things like HR. I'm talking about web and IT support. I'm talking about finance and accounting. I'm definitely talking about marketing. All of those things you can outsource. And I'd almost challenge, depending on what stage you're in, you don't have to. If, you've, if, you're, if you're thinking about growing a massive business with lots and lots of people, there is a point where scale-up is absolutely about that. And it's important for culture, and, and I've talked about that. But if you're trying to test things, even if you're a bigger business, if you're not 100% sure, nothing worse than going out and hiring a big hitter, a very expensive person to come in. Because think about the risk of that. So certainly in the UK, people have got notice periods. They can be in the business for quite a long period of time, particularly if they're senior. That's quite common, sometimes three months, six months. Easier in the US, I appreciate. But you don't want to make a mistake on that. So I prefer to say, okay, what are we trying to do? And how can I bring the right people together almost in a virtual way so that we can get to the result of what we're trying to do, a campaign or, or such? And then if it starts to work, I can scale up and I can make more permanent decisions. But I'm massively reducing costs and I'm massively reducing risk by not bringing that, that level of overhead into my business from day one. And again, it doesn't matter about turnaround. You know, in turnaround, what you might do here, and this is back to my point beforehand, is this is where you, you may have to make redundancies because the business is so far removed from being successful. And just, just so I can give you my psychology on this, I... I think of it like this. If you've got a business which is literally weeks or, or a few months from going bust, having to make a few redundancies, which is painful, but will save the business and save all the other employees is still the best decision 
than than kind of continuing on trying to save everyone. Now, of course, you want to try and protect jobs as much as you can, but sometimes you can't. So often what will happen is I'll have to make a few tough decisions and do them quickly. Don't procrastinate on them. They have to be done. And then I will supplement uh, any capability gap that's needed by outsourcing because I don't have to pay that cost full time. It might be one day a week, one day a month. It might be less than that. But you can see straight away how dramatically that can change the fortunes of the business. Now, in the UK, just to be clear, there are, there are a few things. There's a thing called Tupi, which basically means that anyone in a business, that particularly if you acquire a business, um, and you know, I've done this with sort of bolt-on acquisitions to some of my companies, they, uh, they are sort of say guaranteed, but their, their employment status is protected. So you've got to be a little bit careful about you know, redundancies in that, in that way, depending on what you're doing. But the other thing that tends to happen a little bit here is that people who, who have kind of been in a business and haven't been adding value for a long period of time, that, that those people don't like it when there's change. So if you come in and there's a whole new mission around getting this business firing, a whole heap of new energy, then a lot of those people resign anyway. And that's a good thing because they just want to go off and, and work for a company where they can you know, sit around all day and watch Netflix on their phone. <laughs> So, so you don't want them in your business anyway. So there's a bit where I find that as you come in or as you're trying to scale, this is why energy and, and who you are as a leader is so important. The culture always stems from you. And then people who want to stick around, they are going to be aligning to kind of what you're about. And the ones that aren't aligned, you're going to see them very, very quickly. So just a couple of other points here. So the second sort of piece is delete all the costs that you don't think are critical to the business. So it kind of aligns with my outsourcing point. And renegotiate all critical services. I'm going to go into this in a bit more detail in a second and look for lower cost providers. And that can be simple things. It can be paper supplies. It can be people doing your cleaning. You know, everything is on the table when you're in this situation, even if you think it's inconsequential. I used to work at a magazine business a few years ago and we were going through a similar exercise just because the whole magazine and the print media world was um, going through disruption. And this was a funny one at the time. I kind of thought this is a stupid idea, but I understand it more now. And uh, we were told not to go out to any of the news agents and buy any competitor magazines. Now, the you know, magazine back in that day was like three, four pounds, so not a lot of money. And in the marketing department, because I was heading that up, it was about obviously going out there and seeing what the competitors were doing so that you could adjust and pivot and come up with different ideas and try and compete. So we used to go and buy all the competitor mags and put them out on big tables and put our stuff next to them and look at the covers, look at the headlines, look at any promotions, all that stuff, right? And then um, we were told, no, no, that's it. There's a, there's a line, anything is cut. So this was maybe per month, a couple hundred quid. But this is what I mean. When you're in a situation where things aren't performing, every line is important. So don't think it's inconsequential at all, even if it looks trivial at the time. Okay, we're getting there. So that's costs. Pretty, pretty clearly, as I said, the, the people cost is the big one to look at. So I think I've made that point. We're now going to go into contracts in a bit more detail. So often the biggest one when you're in that situation, when you're turning around a business, is rent. Uh, sometimes you own, own your property, that's cool, but often you lease and rent is a big one in any context. So I, I often, if I'm doing a three to six month turnaround, I often go to the landlord and say, can we have a rent holiday? So 
more often these days, the landlords will be open to that. They might charge you a premium or a cost at the end, a small percentage, an additional fee for it. But it does, as I said before, if you're thinking about cash, that three to six month window, that holiday could save your business. So don't be too um, proud about having to kind of wear that because it's just, it's just a huge cost that you can mitigate quickly just by being clever. The one that people don't do enough again is creditor terms. So for people who don't know what that means, this is, this is the length of time that you pay effectively your suppliers. So there are some businesses that run you know, payment terms, seven days, 14 days, 13, 30 days. And I, I get that in some businesses, it's, it's, it's more transactional when it's important and your suppliers have got similar cash flow challenges. But I often say 30 is a minimum absolute minimum if you can push the terms out even further so let's say 45 days and absolutely 60 days lots of big corporates do this which is kind of crazy because they have like 60 day terms to manage cash flow but they're the ones that in some cases have a little bit more stability but have a look at that because again this is about time it's about cash time and cash the key things have a look at your staff and their contracts and look at their bonuses and things like that so you can do incentive bonuses. If someone's in a business and they think they're going to lose their job, and and I've seen this happen where you might put a whole team of people under consultation, which means consultation that we are thinking about removing your role from the organization. They often come back with a counter proposal, which is, well, hold on, what happens if we change our contracts where, you know, we might we're employed five days. What happens if we only worked four days for a while? And okay, the, the, we're not going to get paid for that fifth day, but we understand that that's going to save the, the business. I don't like this one a lot because obviously you want all hands on deck, but in some situations it can work. It's almost a little bit like the outsourcing model. Instead of firing people or making them redundant as such and then outsourcing, you kind of have your internal teams become more agile and fluent. So it, as I said, nothing is off the table. So having a think about, you know, the, the, the employees who are open to this is definitely something to look at. And I'm going to make the point again, because I've said it before, it's, it's not just about renegotiating the contracts with your suppliers and any of your service providers. It's just about the commercial terms overall. And it's not uncommon. I'll go in, in a turnaround and I'll call up all of the suppliers and say, situation isn't great. We want to work with you. In some cases, I may owe money. Um, so there is a, there's a point here where they want to get paid. They don't want you to go and be, you know, into liquidation and then they, they don't get paid and they're sort of longer down the list. They don't want that to happen. So they are, they may not like the conversation. It's not fun when I do it, but quite often people are amenable to it because, you know, the consequence of not being open to that conversation is worse. Yeah. So you can sort of get a, an understanding now why I say that this wasn't a fun gig. And you could ask, why did you do it so long, Nick? And that's a totally separate podcast episode. Uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And, and why I feel really um, confident and congruent in my ability to scale up any business these days is because I've had gone through the pain of turnarounds. So that's it. All righty, let's get into some quick cash strategies. Some of these are a bit um, out there. They're, they feel very out there when I sort of go through, <laughs> but you know, one thing you can do is you can sell stuff. You can literally get your, get your truck out and go driving around the business park and sell things. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's funny. Yeah, you get my point now. But it's, it's not as crazy as it seems. So you might have 
excess inventory that you want to sell. You might want to liquidate some debtors. So you can do things here, which is quite interesting, where you can actually uh, sort of with accounts receivables, you can provide a discount. So there's a bit here where as much as you want that money to come in, you want it to come in quickly. So you can go back to your customers and say, listen, if you pay this invoice more quickly, so if you pay it in seven days as opposed to 30 days or 60 days or whatever the terms are that you've got, you know, you'll provide a five to 10% discount. Now, you go, oh, yeah, but I'm losing money, but you're not, you, you're gaining cash. And at this point in time, it's about staying afloat. So the psychology and the thinking goes, goes away, it changes. You can also look at factoring, which is where you can outsource the sort of same concept, the idea of how you can get paid more quickly. But I don't like to do that too often um, because you're you're using a third party to essentially manage your customers and it can have a long-term detriment. I think it's much better for you to have those conversations than to get someone else to do it because they're going to be less... They're going to be less emotional and more focused, which is great, right, often, but there also can be no rapport and they can totally ruin the relationship. And I certainly wouldn't do it with key customers. So as I said, you can sell inventory, but you can also sell your fixed assets. There's, there's deals out there called things like sale or lease back. So you can actually take your assets, sell them to another company and then lease them back. And again, it's just about cash flow you get a lump sum back because you've got something which is of value in its own right. But if you lease it back over time, it could be over a number of years, for example, particularly with big fixed assets, then that's another way of getting cash flow um, and certainly getting cash into the business quickly. And then a longer term play, which is one that's worth looking at is grant funding. It does take ages. You can go through, there used to be things like in the in the UK, there used to be European social funds, um, the similar things exist in the US. It's, it's worth always looking at grant funding, particularly if you're in the beginning of a business where there are incentives for, for things like innovation and startup. So businesses can still be going backwards at the early stages because of cash. So even though you think turnaround is normally a business that's been established and has lost its way, it can be businesses at all stages. So I think looking at funding and having a, a track again where you can get free money Free money just because you you fit the profile of what you know a government or an institution is trying to support. It's worth having that on your radar, but definitely don't get distracted because it's not something that's going to come in quick. In the UK, there's a really cool concept called R and D tax credits. What that simply means is you can get rewarded, if you like, um, through tax breaks for any of the innovation that you're doing in your business. So that can be lots of things. Um, I've heard one of my mentors, for example, was using um, these tax credits for Facebook uh, ads because it was a form of innovation around marketing. So you can be, I, I don't want you running off and you know, speaking to your accountants and saying, well, hey, I want all my, my Facebook advertising, if that's what you're doing, suddenly rebated through tax. But you need to have a look at this. The, the, the key thing is have a chat to your accountant and see anything that you've invested in because over the last number of years back, you can also claim those tax credits. So it's not just in your, your current tax year. And in some cases, this can lead to tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds, dollars. Yeah. So there'll be something similar in the US, I'm sure. But in the UK, it's called R&D tax claims. Then you've got where you can source cash from. So angel investment, friends and family rounds. Again, this can take a little bit longer. Crowdfunding. Um there are other things like employee equity, uh, but this is we're starting to get kind of into longer term strategies now. And then the last one really is bank funding and overdraft. It's cash flow lending. 
Um, and you can even get a personal guarantee if needed against this. And in the UK, you can insure that personal guarantee. And most people don't know that. And these, these last ones here, because some of them take longer and in bank, bank funding is obviously one where if you're getting a personal guarantee, you want it to be a last resort. I would look at the things that you can control in your business first. It just depends on where you are, where you are. And if it is the fact that literally, you know, you've got to pay your employees on Friday and you've got no money, then some of these more dramatic tactics are at your disposal and you may need to deploy them. Okay, so next one is deferring tax. We're almost there. As I said, it's a long one. It's a long episode, but I hope you're getting lots of value out of this. It's technical in some cases, but most of it does apply to any business as you can start to appreciate now. So deferring tax is another painful one. And I used to sometimes go in and have to call up HMRC, which is um, the entity here in the UK that manages all tax. And I used to have to agree payment plans. Uh, Not fun, but often, and I'm sure the IRS in the US will do the same, but often they'll agree to it. Now, there are a couple of watch outs here. If, If the business that you've got, if you've gone and acquired a business and they've tried to do this before and they've reneged on it, then it's very unlikely it's going to be an effective strategy for you. But HMRC are one of the, of course, they're going to want their money. It's like anything. It's the same as when you call up someone, a supplier, and, you, and you're struggling to pay. They want their money. So they're going to have to be at least flexible around it because the option, the other option is the business goes bust and they don't get anything. But the key thing here is you've got to pay it. If you get a payment plan in place, you've got to make that a priority because you are really getting down to the bottom of the barrel now in terms of your ability to make this business work. Now, that applies in terms of what that can be. So how can you, you know, what are you deferring, um, so to speak? Well, it can be VAT, it can be corporation tax. It can be what's a thing called PAYE, which is basically sort of tax on employees, um, income tax, those sort of things. So all of the different liabilities that you have around tax can be deferred, but it's really a, a one-off play. Or if you have to do it a couple of times over the course of a business It's not something you do every year. You'd have to have some time in between it because it's not something that's liked and it can be a difficult conversation, but more often than not, you'll get a yes. And the last one, the last thing around this, which probably covers everything, and this is something you should be doing no matter what, and it's what I call um, the cash flow forecast. So cash flow forecast is not uncommon. Most businesses will have one. Most people look at at the beginning of the year and they manage it monthly. In a business that's going through turnaround, you need to be looking at this weekly as an absolute minimum. And often, if you're right at the sort of vapor end, by that I mean there's there's not much fuel left in the tank, you are literally on vapor, (laughs) you need to be doing this daily, daily cash flow forecasts. And just to labor the point, I know most of you understand what this is, but you have to really, really understand where your cash is going at a finite and intricate level. And you need to know in advance if you have to take massive action to, to get yourself in the black and, you know, above the red line. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's absolutely critical. So that's, that's first and foremost, you've got to have that across all of these different strategies that we've talked through today, all of these different tactics, because that's going to be the thing that's going to be your measuring stick to what's coming, what you need to do, what you need to focus in. Okay, that's it. Lots there, long episode, long episode, lots to cover, but just to you know, summarize very quickly the process or the areas to look at. So first one was business development. We went through quite a lot of things there. 
slightly different to just kind of growth strategies, more tactical and more um, quickly deployed, but important. Then there's reducing costs. The biggest one is people. Biggest one is people, hence the reason why um, turnaround gets such a bad rap, if you like, by um, employees when you hear of the turnaround people coming in. Contracts, renegotiating, you should be doing that at all times. It doesn't have to be daily, weekly, monthly, but certainly look at your contracts quarterly or half yearly. Quick cash, things you can do quickly. This is where you need to bring money in the door and you need to be very, very entrepreneurial to use that word in a different way when you're in that situation. How can you get cash in quickly? And then there's deferring not just taxes, but other payments. Anything that allows you to buy time, get you that extra couple of weeks, get you that extra month, get you that extra three months. All of that can make a huge difference. It's funny, when you start to look at the, the cash flow forecast and you look at the difference between deferring payments versus not, and, you, and I always track it by, as I said, the black and the red, you can see a business that could literally be spending six months in the red and going really free-falling to being literally black all the way through just because of that time deferral. So yeah, do that, look at it. It's, it's a discipline. People who don't like metrics go, ah, oh, Nick, I don't want to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it. Do it if you're growing. Do it no matter what. So that's it. That's it. So what every business can learn from the turnaround process. I hope you found that massively valuable today. If you've got any questions about this stuff, please get in touch. More than happy to help. As I said, it's applicable to, to any type of business and there's a lot of different tactics and a few strategies in there to think about. I've also got, if anyone's interested, I do have a weekly cash flow model that I'm happy to share with people. So if you're in that situation where you just want to bring that discipline into your business regardless and you'd like a copy of that, please get in touch. Uh, you can either send me an email, which is nick at fielding.global or come out and reach me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's always the best. Send me a quick message and I will send that to you. So thanks for listening. As I always say, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Bye for now.